welcome to From the Booth, a podcast where we talk about the films playing at BYU's International Cinema. We are in week five of the IC Winter Program 2023. I'm Marila Oskerson, Assistant Director of International Cinema, and today in the booth with me is Professor Heather Vernat. Heather, you teach classes in the Department of Comparative Arts and Letters about 18th and 19th century European art, modern art, contemporary art, your art specialist, women in art, and intro as well to European studies. Your research focuses on women in post-revolutionary French art, fashion and culture, religion and art in the modern era, transatlantic culture and Mormonism in the 1900s. Um, you are also the coordinator of the European Studies, as well as an affiliate of the Global Women's Studies Program. Welcome, Heather. Thanks so much. Pleasure to be here. So happy to have you here. Today, we're talking about the 2017 documentary that's playing this week at International Cinema called Disappearance of My Mother. This documentary plays three times this week. You will be able to see it, first of all, right after the lecture by Marc Olivier, IC co-director, and that is Friday, February 15th. It will start right at uh, 5.45. And you will also be able to see it on Friday, February 17th at 9 p.m. or Saturday, February 18th at 2.30 p.m. So I hope you marked your um, calendars. This film is in Italian. It talks about a lot of things. And um, maybe we can start with the title, Disappearance of My Mother. Why do you think um, it's named that way? It becomes pretty clear that uh, Bernadetta, who had been a runway model, she was the first Italian model to be on the cover of the American Vogue, uh, who was photographed by some of the most well-known photographers uh, of the era, who was a in the circles of, at the very least, Andy Warhol, Marcel Duchamp, other other artists. So, uh, you know, very much a public figure increasingly finds that she wants to be not only less public, but less apparent, that she is ready here in her 70s to sort of exit that life and not even just the life of of fashion and, and so on, but even just of, of publicness. And so this is a documentary of a son who in the very beginning, I think tells us never got, uh, felt that his mother appeared to him or was constantly seeking for some sort of um, way of fixing her. And that this project becomes a way of capturing his mother and her life before she disappears. And it's important to note, she's not looking to end her life or even though at the end, at the end of the film, you'll see maybe some, some hints that might uh, make you think otherwise to just walk into the desert and, and never be seen. But again, to just not be so visible, so uh, exposed and interrogated by the gaze to stop performing and to just be. Very good introduction, Heather. Thank you so much. Um, She mentioned something. um, So in this documentary, we hear her talk about her art as a, as a model. Um, 
and as well about the changes in herself and um and her reflection on on fashion and and modeling um she she is very beautiful um and very iconic look her up um you will recognize pictures from her i'm sure she, uh, she says that i've always labored under the illusion but i also think that it was true that nobody ever photographed me she said her face is not for sale basically and that uh the real her was never able to be on on an image and yet she has been photographed so many ways and now we have her son who is um hiding the camera so many times like she does not know he's filming her and it's upsetting to her and um so so what what um what can can you tell us about well I felt like there is a, a big element of voyeurism so voyeurism in fashion maybe and then the voyeurism that we encounter in this documentary what are some thoughts that you have on that topic uh yes I too was uh disturbed actually by some of the camera angles where we would uh, see her from behind and there wasn't a sense that that she was aware of this or maybe had given her consent to be uh to be filmed there are even some shots that we used to call a, a keyhole uh perspective in in art and and also in film where again you have someone who is being watched who is subject to a gaze that they are not aware of uh, in, in many cases. And yeah, that that becomes, it can be a kind of weapon and it can feel exploitative. And I was struck by some of those, those techniques of the, the, the angle. Uh, there's even a point at which he sets up the camera sort of unbeknownst to her. He's not even behind it. Uh, she's sleeping. Uh, these are, these are things that I think, uh, many of us would feel are unfair <laughs> and, uh, and and the sort of thing that if you weren't in a family relationship would be even more troubling. And so it did beg some of those questions about uh, about that kind of of perspective and consent and the like. But you're, you're right to point out, of course, um, the modeling industry, the fashion industry is so much about image and performance and the constructedness of uh, of that of that image and from the outset she seems to recognize that they weren't photographing her they weren't capturing her it was the the, the clothing the costume and she leans into that a bit so they, they they give us some footage where we see she's making these contrived movements and uh, with her body and, and even with her gaze in some ways. And you get this sense that she is a bit of a subversive element in this, this industry in the 60s, in the 50s and the 60s. Or maybe she was just discovered in the 60s. I can't remember. Uh, but she quickly turns to being... Uh, a feminist, <laughs> uh, lecturer, journalist, uh, quite well known for being critical of these industries and just of the way that they objectify women. So there's irony and also for me, uh, something very unsettling about this mother 
former model, lecturer, academic, uh, feminist, whose son is asking her to do something that she's been critical of and moving away from. Uh, and it's that that kind of a publicness that I'm still wrestling with, with how I feel about that. Well, I felt like a warrior myself yeah. because of the intimacy of, of the image and the, some of the scenes. And um, can we, we, can, we can definitely blame the sun for those images. But because of how I feel, it made me reflect on how I watch uh, a fashion show. Yes. And, and the, the voyeurism that's there too. Yes. Um, it's not about just the clothes, but it's about the body that's moving and the, the faces and the makeup. And it's, it's about the woman. And she becomes an object in, in many ways because, because of the way she needs to carry herself and the way she needs to walk and et cetera. Um, I don't know if you've seen, we, so we, we are coming to the end of this series, the semester on haute couture. And one of the documentaries that we uh, showed is Martin Margiela, in his own words, about this um, uh, French um, fashion designer. And at some point, and I was very troubled by that, but I think it comes back to my uneasiness with disappearance of my mother. He decided to have the model's head completely covered by fabric. And he said himself, then you can focus on the clothes itself. It really unnerved me as, as a woman that, uh, again, the body of, of women are objectified. Yes, I, I agree with you. She, she even makes the comment, um, Bernadetta, that she can understand why women wear burkas. She can understand why women want to have not just their faces obscured, but their, their bodies because uh, they just become these vessels and with, with, without a sense of individuality and subjectivity and, and so on. And so I see a move like that of covering the faces is, is questionable as well, that it doesn't seem to me to, to really be kind of getting um, to the root of some of the problems of the industry and just, just modern society in, in general and how uh, women and their role in it is, is highly performative, is highly representational and uh, with, as we all know, these standards of, of, of beauty, et cetera, that can be um, extremely damaging. So uh, I would like to come back to those standards of beauty, but uh, something you said m made me remember a passage in the documentary about um, women being represented in nature as nature, and then men always having thoughts um, and ideals as their main way of representation. Um, would you would you expand on this? Sure. This is an age-old pattern that scholars in the last, I don't know, 50 or years or so have, have noticed uh, that have, that existed throughout time and, and historical discourse and so on, that women are to nature what men are to culture. Uh, this suggests, suggestion of women being part of the earth, mother earth, and natural biological processes such as motherhood. and uh, very kind of embodied individuals, whereas men, their realm is politics and society and high culture and the realm of thought. And 
she will state at the end that she wants to disappear. She wants her body to disappear. And she wants to be with her mind and her thoughts. And that is, I think, generally been a fairly uh, male way um, of thinking about the end of one's life. I was thinking about um, Montaigne, who retired at the age of 38. Life expectancies were different when he was when, when he was living, but to uh, finish out his life not doing but being and asking some of those those big questions. And for Bernadetta to state that this is her purpose is is somewhat uh, transgressive of our expectations. And that she was appropriated by culture, a largely male-oriented patriarchal culture. And then uh, th- that she wants to participate in some of those practices of, of ruminating and, and philosophizing, et cetera, just goes to some of those uh, gendered expectations and, yeah, and parameters. So in the, the portrait that he offers of his mother, would you say that uh, maybe it's breaking away a little bit then from something that's expected from the portrait of a, a woman, like that we're, we're seeing some male uh, or masculine uh, tendencies? I, absolutely. Yeah. I think that uh, some... Uh, audiences might be surprised at how outspoken she is, mm-hmm. gruff and almost surly mm-hmm. at, at points. And I don't know, my, my guess is that she's like this with other people, not just with her son. Yeah. Uh, although, of course, that, that familiar re- relationship changes the dynamic uh, a bit. You, you really get the sense that the last, I don't know, 50 years or so of her life, which is also well, more than that, yeah, was, which was also the period in which she was a mother, that she refused a lot of what she seemed to be propagating mm-hmm. in the early part of her, her life. So, yes, there are definitely things about her. And I just, one of the things that, that, that I noticed was her, just the untidiness of her home mm-hmm. grated mm-hmm. on me. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking, would this bother me as much if we were looking at a man in the same kind of age? We have expectations that, that women are good housekeepers and, and, and these are, are things that she refused. There's even you know mentioned she doesn't shower for, mm-hmm. for weeks on end uh, and she doesn't care what she's wearing mm-hmm. to receive an award. Mm-hmm. And her son is, is appalled by this. And so we do have those role reversals that I think should should spur some conversations and thought about the fact that we have them in the first place in terms of how men and women should uh, perform and be. Yeah. And behave, yeah, excellent. Um, <clears throat> coming back to the question of prototype of beauties, she says that um, she asked herself this question, why do we have prototypes of beauty? And she answers it. Her answer is because men invent women and this leads to Jessica Rabbit, she says. And so um, what are some some of your thoughts about this? Uh, 
Well, I wondered, first of all, I, how many people will recognize the, allu- the Jessica, to Jessica Rabbit? Rabbit? I had to look it up. Okay. <laughs> I, I remember she was an animated figure who was the, the exaggerated kind of stereotype of the shapely woman, the, 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 the uh, sex pot, the, uh, yeah, the, the seductress, and that that was her power, was through her, her looks, through her beauty. Um, through her body. And this would be something that I think, you know, folks of a certain culture and generation would recognize that reference. But, uh, but yeah, so that was kind of my my first thought. But I, I think it's a very apt one, because she is a cartoon. And so there's an element of ridiculousness about her, which begs the question of, you know, why she all of a sudden the personification of of the ideal woman and she states that this is the invention of of men and and what it is that they want uh, women to be and so she returns to that kind of theme i think throughout uh throughout the the documentary obviously in 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 less uh overt ways but when the son is saying you need to change your clothes mom do your hair get ready for this. And, and she refuses. And yet at the same time, she will go, she doesn't completely repudiate that world. Mm -hmm. And I didn't quite understand. We don't know the rationale, but she does actually walk on the runway. She Mm -hmm. goes to fashion week. I think it's in London, in London, yes, in London and walks the stage with these women who are not even half her age, but, but Mm -hmm. probably the, 50, 60 years younger and has the makeup, all of that. And, and you wonder how much she's resist or, or why she's chosen not to resist at that particular moment being conforming to this kind of invention that, that she sees there. Yeah. But she definitely does not. She hates that idea of having to conform to these social standards of of womanhood and of femininity very good so we talk a lot about image in this um podcast and because the film is full of images as well we go back in the past and we see the beauty of benedetta uh, in the past there is a comment about image and how there's our world is so filled with images at this time that the glamour needs to be even more than ever before to to make this the fashion pop and everything and in my mind it it brings us to something really fake like what am i looking at when i look at an image of a of a model on a on a runway or on a magazine it's all touched up it's made perfect would you have some comments about uh, this fake perfection that that we see or for lack of a better word or maybe you would like to call it something else well yes but now that we have photoshop and other kinds of ai that we can change everything about an image to the point that we don't quite know what is real and i put that in quotation marks because getting at what is real is philosophical pursuit in and of itself but this uh saturation that we have of images where we're a much more visual culture than we've ever been before um, in many ways. And uh, at least you know, prior to, to uh, literacy, widespread literacy. And 
we need to be more conversant about how those images are constructed, the kinds of messages that, that they convey. She is, is very much a product of her time. So there was a lot of conversation in the 60s and early 70s about the idea of spectacle. And it is every, it's, it's what is seen. It is the, the display and that we are a world of images. And this was 50 years ago before we had all the social media, YouTube and film and, and so on. And she says, you know, several times, this picture of me or that filming of me doesn't capture me. <laughs> it's a, a copy of me. It's a representation to go back to, to the platonic uh, kinds of, of ideas. And I love the sequence when uh, Lauren Hutton is there mm -hmm. and who is also a model um, actor. And both of them are shooing Ben out mm -hmm. to say, this is this idea of capturing something. Your generation and the next generation is obsessed with that. Is if if we don't take a photograph of something, it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. It didn't exist. And I think that we ought to think about that in terms of of how we use social media, Instagram, TikTok. Yes, it can be a kind of record keeping, but it can also be a refusal to live in the moment and experience something. And it shapes the way that our the memory functions. And so for me, mm -hmm. that's one of the big take homes is thinking about why we have this impulse to photograph or record everything and how that will in the end be a kind of construction of memory mm -hmm. and, and, and maybe a refusal to be in the moment with that experience and find other ways to um, have an imprint on our ourselves and our souls and and our and our recollections and those this is those are such great comments heather and i invite our students our audience to to see this documentary and and reflect what does it mean for for us you know to take all those pictures and what what does glamour look like and what is the role of like photography and capturing on film and all this excellent what are you hoping that the students um, will get from this documentary? Uh, I think uh, that, that well, what is the function of an image? And it's easy to project that the, these are issues with, say, the fashion industry or the media, but to think how we too, you know, maybe participate in, in this sort of uh, way of approaching life and, and, and approaching uh, record keeping and and making of meaning and and so on, and then uh, also to to I think uh, this made me think a lot about family history and the projects that we embark on for uh, the sake of of recording these things and and making them accessible for other you know, generations and and. Uh, we don't have time to go into this today, but just really thinking about the familial relationships that that come in a collaborative project like this, where you know the the mother does not want to do this, but does this because she wants to please her son. She wants to help her son, and so I think there are some 
bigger questions. It's also asking about family dynamics and about, uh, yeah, how how these generations work together and uh, but with perhaps different motives and and perspectives to capture uh, a, a particular moment or a particular being or a particular relationship and how complicated that can be. I mean, if nothing else, when I came away from the film, I, I thought I have felt so many emotions that range from antipathy to, you know, great um, compassion for both the mother um, and the son who are caught up in larger systems and environments that we are too. And I don't know if that's to to say, I want you to come back or this gives you an opportunity to think about your, some of your relationships and how you uh, you insert yourself into, to some of those and, and record those as well. That would be a great takeaway from, from the documentary. Well, Heather, thank you so much for uh, joining me today um, on From the Booth. Thanks. It's been really uh, a pleasure to be here. And thank you to our listeners as well for being with us today. We're grateful for the support of the BYU College of Humanities. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not represent official views of the university or its supportive institutions. Work on the Sound is by Hayden Underwood. Original music by Johnny Stallings. To all, thank you. Until next time, we hope to see you in 250 of the Kimmel Tower.